Oh my God, we have an exciting new client, Literati. Oh. It's the number one book club for kids. Oh yeah. I had to do some digging to find people young enough, but my ex just had a baby. My nephews, three and seven years old. <laughs> so Perfect. We sent it to both of them. We're going to get reviews. It is for ages zero to 12. Yeah. Right? And it, uh, libraries, schools, bookstores are all closed. Yeah. Right? Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women to make it easy to find interesting books delivered right to your doorstep. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or to give as a gift. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art personalized note to your child. What kid doesn't love receiving something in the mail? Home delivery, super important right now. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites. Send the rest back for free for a limited time. Try it with Travis's nephews. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie, 25% off your first two orders. That's literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Thursday, April 30th, uh, we have with us again Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer, who is an election forecaster and senior fellow at the Niskanen Center. Uh, you can find Rachel online at, at Rachel Bittekoffer. Her last name is actually quite easy because it's all single letters. So B I T E C O F E R. Rachel Bittekoffer. Um, Cliff, hello, Cliff, by the way, too. Cliff's here, too. Oh, hey, Don. How are you? Yeah, <laughs> so please forget you know, that. He not? matters, I too. I figured I'd co-host, so I'd show up. More excited about Rachel, but Cliff's okay. Um, you know, I think, Rachel, we were thinking a number of topics. Um, uh, this is all forecasting related, but, you know, coronavirus, how that's affecting the election or the polls. Um, certainly, absolutely, your election forecast is the big topic, but also Justin um, Amash. We never figure out how to say his name. We think it's Amash. Uh, a re former Republican, now independent, but still really a conservative Republican, has now said he wants to enter the race against Trump potentially as a libertarian. How you think that plays with the numbers? Um, what do you, you know, I guess, why don't we start with your election forecast? We do so many coronavirus topics. Yeah, forecast with for us, Rachel. Forecast first, and then we can, we'll also get into the other topics. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah, so, you know, I released my Congress forecast, uh, including the House and Senate ratings. Um, you know, this time is a, a couple months earlier than my first release uh, in 2018. Um, but uh, this time, too, is a little bit more complex because we're talking about a cycle in which Democrats are looking to gain additional seats in the House of Representatives. Uh, I still argue that the um, energy is on that side and Republicans were on defense. And that was the case before uh, the pandemic and the economic collapse came in. Those things have only made, um, you know, that problem worse for the GOP, not better. Now, yeah. So, saying. you know, yeah. So, you know, uh, unlike other analysts, I wasn't really looking at those at very many of the 40 seats that they picked up as being, you know, uh, um, I mean, they certainly will be expensively contested and they'll have to be aggressively run for. But I don't see them as, as likely to go back into Republican hands. And instead, I'm interested in, you know, where. Did they underperform or underinvest in 2018? Because they did, um, you know, in terms of not really recognizing their strength in the suburbs. So they left some districts on the table, especially I uh, identify some districts in Texas that I think are going to be really uh, important in the House. 
Um, and then, um, you know, in, in addition to that, you know, the real question that everyone wants to know is, you know, where, what are the Democratic odds in the in the Senate? Right. And, you know, my forecast is more bullish on the three pickups of Arizona, hmm. Colorado and Maine, uh, certainly um, Arizona and Colorado. And then, uh, you know, Maine, Maine, I have, I think, lean D initially in my forecast. It's a little bit different, the pathway to that. Seat. It's not a realignment state, and it's not. A, it is right. of a turnout surge. Among well, the, the northern part of the state. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, you know, I did some cycles there. The northern part of the state actually has moved towards the Republicans, right? So, I mean, in some ways, yeah, 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 because it's rural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some probably like, not the sort of suburban yeah. type state like Colorado and Arizona. That yeah, 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 yeah. Right. It's totally a different story in Maine. I mean, it's a state that's predominantly white. And it is what makes it competitive is the road. I mean, the Northeast is the most is the one region of the country that that sports the most independence. Right. But, you know, under a high turnout model, what you could see what how that affected uh, Maine to last cycle. And, you know, in this case, you've got college educated voters moving to the left. You know, it's a regional, I mean, it's a geographic, Portland, place, right, but, it's, but it's also a fact, you know. So, right. you know, Collins has for a long time been able to ride on this issue um, or this reputational advantage of being moderate. And, right. you know, her her actions lately have forced her to make some very public votes that were not moderate. <laughs> Can I throw and, something in there too, Rachel? Because yeah. I worked in that, uh, you know, I worked against her in 2002, for a great candidate uh, for Shelley Pingree, who now is a congresswoman from from Maine and and terrific person too, I would add. And the thing that we could never do in voters' minds in Maine is get them to understand that Susan Collins wasn't the moderate she portrayed herself as. She literally hid behind the perfect brand thing because you've got Margaret Chase Smith, you know, famously taking on a senator from a moderate Republican from Maine in the past, taking on McCarthy, and then of course more recently Olympia Snow, who actually was much more moderate. And mm-hmm. so we didn't have that that image to pin how right wing she was on her. We could never. And now I think with both impeachment and Kavanaugh, you have the imagery and you have people angry, and you can see it in her approval rating. And obviously, I trust your guruship here, but I would say, from I'll say from my part, from my experience there, I never believed she could be beaten, but this time I absolutely <clears throat> believe she can be. So I, I think you're absolutely right on on that. Yeah, me too. And you know, I mean, I'd be shocked if she can survive it, especially because she's pulled such a great challenger in Sarah Gideon. And I just think mm-hmm. the, I think the, all the mojos kind of moving in one direction this time. And, you know, it just depends, though. Democrats are just, ter- <laughs> you know, they're not great at, at uh, messaging. And, uh, you know, it will depend, I think, a little bit on how much support they get from priorities. Uh, USA doing much better on their messaging, much more rugged and, you know, GOP centric, um, you know, tie the incumbent to the president and just hammer right. Stuff you know, so I think that we're gonna. I think those improvements all around, because the Democrats are making improvements in their GOTV. You know, a lot of this is. I'm not saying my research made them do it, but it uh, aligns with what I've been arguing in my research, which is you know you can't you can't neglect GOTV of you know high propensity Democrats. You can't just ignore them and then spend two weeks on a half you know brained effort of of trying to get them to mobilize. You have to invest in that. A year out, you got to, you know, utilize early voting and a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, like the state state Supreme Court race in Wisconsin, that's a product of modified strategy. And look what it did. I mean, it's, a, it's an 11 point yep. advantage. <laughs> you know? No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think um, 
So obviously, North, we, you know, the people are paying attention to that. North Carolina is in play in a way that our guy's actually been up in numerous polls. We're still uh, talking Senate, right? We're still talking U.S. Yeah. Senate. Okay. Yep. Um, and, and there's a number of other states. What's really interesting is um, Trump, you know, Trump type guy. There's an article, I think it was yesterday, today, uh, David Perdue, who's an incumbent in Georgia gave some closed door or I guess, you know, behind the scenes talk to women for Trump, which by the way, I'd like to meet women for Trump. That must be a fascinating group. Um, and, uh, and said that he thought um, both of those Georgia seats were potentially in danger that Georgia has been changing demographically in huge ways, which we know, but you know, is it, is, has it reached that point? One of those seats, obviously you've got the Mrs. Insider trading. Kelly Loeffler, Loeffler was, was uh, appointed. And then you've got, you know, there's a fight there because Doug Collins, the congressman's running against her. And I've heard that that uh, McConnell's group has attacked Collins, but Trump is behind Collins and against Loeffler. So that should be fun. And then there's Purdue himself. Like they got to hold on to both of those. So that, so I find that particularly interesting. A poll just came out that had Steve Bullock up three points in Montana. And it didn't seem like a crazy poll because it had Trump up 11 in Montana in the same poll. Um so I don't know what you what do you think about some of those second tier, if you want to call them that opportunities? Yeah. So, I mean, really what I would want to do is make sure that your um, audience gets the gets the frame that I am coming at with the Senate. So, you know, I'm okay. saying Democrats basically have three of the four seats that they need. They need four because they're probably going to lose the Alabama seat and they at least have to act like they will. Right. And so, you know, having three in the bank and needing a fourth, you have six seats that you you can pursue for it. And in order of competition, that's North Carolina, probably Kansas, unless um, Kobosh is not the nominee. Right. So probably North Carolina, Kansas. Um, you've got the two Georgia seats, right? Mm-hmm. And um, going from there, you have to look a little bit tougher. I mean, uh, I think Iowa, I was more bearish on, uh, bullish on before the uh, caucus, and then the caucus turnout was so bad i mean right. forget the rest of the problems they had the big problem to me at at iowa was i mean i went there the election was invisible basically like this you know something i would never have thought i'd see which is an invisible iowa caucus um you know and uh yeah just it, i don't know what's going on in iowa but that turnout that was weird especially because in the super tuesday states i mean here in virginia our turnout numbers were were huge right, right. And then we, course get interrupted by the pandemic and the end of the primary so we really don't have a great big data do you think it might have had something to do with the the, the caucus aspect of it or no yeah i mean there's yeah there's a few things going on theoretically that i can rationalize as affecting turnout in iowa i think number one the uh massive amount of candidates that people had to choose from could you know for people who are not us it's too much right or like who am i supposed to how am I supposed to figure this out? Okay, the uh, need to go to publicly declare it in the environment post 16 has been pretty, you know, um, contentious, especially between the Sanders people and everyone else. So, you know, maybe I don't, if I'm an average person, I don't want to go and get yelled at in a room because I don't support the right candidate. Um, so, I think over choice, uh, it not being a competitive thing between two or three people and and being seen as this big you know, mass um, might have been a problem. The caucus was, uh, for the first time ever, scheduled, you know, day after the Super Bowl, which was, you know, just ridiculously bad planning. And then on top of all of that, a lot of the campaign activity leading up 
that final week gets interrupted with the impeachment trial in the Senate right. and some of the key candidates being pulled off the stump for that. That said, when I, like I said, when I got to Iowa, it was the first time I'd ever been there. I'd been wanting to go my whole life. I had this real expectation of the atmosphere of Des Moines and Ames. And like, you know, I get there and if I, I could have spent the whole time that I spent there. Eating. Never known. Because they all have that, they all have the free food. You should, did you eat Amy Klobuchar's uh, famous, whatever it was, tater tot thing? No, no. Oh, oh corn dogs. Oh. It was, uh, again, I was only there the last couple of days of the cycle. Oh. And, you know, it was the Super Bowl Sunday, so everything was shut down for oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You can't campaign. You can't knock on doors. So think about how oh, God. important yeah. that, that is. That day before the election, you can't do, right. you basically you can't kick everybody off. Yeah. 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 But, but you know, again, like I said, I could have come into the city, spent the, the weekend there, gone home. And aside from the, the vacant ghost bust of Amy Klobuchar's campaign bus, which was driving around the deserted streets of Des Moines while I was there, uh, Klobuchar herself was back in D.C. Um, aside from seeing that campaign bus, there was no outward sign of, of the caucus. So, like, what I'm saying is you and I know that there's an Iowa caucus. Right. Regular folk in, in right. Iowa could easily just – Never noticed it because I don't know why, but there were no almost no sign activity from the Democratic campaign in Des Moines and Ames. I know it was really weird, and it was and so I asked people like the people that I I did brush elbows with her, long term established big name people in the caucus. So you know you know hey is this is this normal like you know there's no sign there's no billboards there's no evidence of this right. caucus the barista at the coffee shop was like oh there's a thing going on <laughs> you, know <what laughs> I mean? you know what I mean like um uh, and they and then when I know when I mentioned it that's when they were like no you know come to think of it you're right there really isn't a lot of signs this time I don't know what's up with that and I I wonder if it's because Democrats think they don't need signs because of one political science research article that came out, you know, 10 years back that said there's uh, no uh, measurable effect from having a sign. Well, they were measuring two-party vote share, okay? And where the sign helps you and the reason why all businesses have signs is that way people know you exist, okay? <laughs> it's, a, it's about salience. It's about name ID. It's about, right, right. you know, let queuing in the average people who aren't you and me, and maybe they don't watch even the local news, because in Iowa, of course, you're going to have pretty intensive coverage of the caucus. Uh, they don't watch news anymore because they don't have to. We've got all these Netflix shows. I mean, my God, I don't know if you've looked at the Netflix flicks oh, and Amazon libraries. Oh, I'm yeah, so yeah. overwhelmed. Uh, I can't oh, even yeah. decide what I want to watch. Like, I right? feel like I could marry them. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, there's like so yeah. much more like entertainment choice just in those two, let alone expanding yeah. out to the streaming that a lot of people don't pay attention anymore to any news source. They don't they don't get accidentally exposed mm -hmm. by walking past a newspaper machine. They don't get accidentally exposed flipping channels on a TV. There's no exposure, right? Mm -hmm. And right. so if you don't tell them visually that there's an election, they're liable to not even notice it. Like, like I said, half the people in the coffee right. shop are like, oh, there's a thing going on. <laughs> But well, same for but same for us. I mean, let's face it, the coronavirus is the story. You know, I mean, right. The last thing I sort of think about every day is, oh, how are the polls doing with with Biden versus Trump or whatever? I mean, I'm I'm worried about the damn virus. You know. Right. Right. Right.
Yeah. Well, well, she looked like Iowa initially, though, they hadn't had the obviously the outbreak yet. Then. No, no, this is all prior to the pandemic. Right, so. Wait, wait. I mean, no, nobody's. No, it's not even. A, I was even talking about it back then. Not even a word right then. You know. Clearly, Donald and, Trump you know, had like fourteen warnings by then. But we. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, we should have. Yeah, let me make that clear, America. Uh, this is February third. Okay. So we all should have known what COVID-19 was, and we right. should have been preparing to batten down the hatches and start ramping up national production of testing and That's PPE correct. and ventilate. And, and the fact that we didn't do that meant that our death toll is probably at least double what it should be right now. And just I want to make that really crystal clear in case any candidates are listening to this. Not even more like four or five times, but <laughs> you look at South Korea and that they have about a sixth or seventh yeah. of our population and they've had 250 deaths and found out their first case the same day as us. No okay, guys, I've got to jump in because we need to do a quick ad break, but this is a good time for it because I wanted to segue a little bit to coronavirus and the election and you're already going there, which is perfect. So uh, give us a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer. Oh my God, we have an exciting new client, Literati. Oh! It's the number one book club for kids. Oh yeah. I had to do some digging to find people young enough, but my ex just had a baby. My nephews, three and seven years old. <laughs> so Perfect. We sent it to both of them. We're going to get reviews. It is for ages zero to 12. Yeah. Right? And it, uh, libraries, schools, bookstores are all closed. Yeah. Right? Literati has you covered with something truly unique. This subscription book club for kids was founded by two women to make it easy to find interesting books delivered right to your doorstep. No more scrolling online trying to find that perfect book for your child or to give as a gift. Each Literati box contains five books based on a theme with exclusive original art personalized note to your child. What kid doesn't love receiving something in the mail? Home delivery, super important right now. And with their curated selection, only keep your favorites. Send the rest back for free for a limited time. Try it with Travis's nephews. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go to literati.com slash Stephanie, 25% off your first two orders. That's literati.com slash Stephanie. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Dr. Rachel Bittekoffer, election forecaster extraordinaire. We were just talking, uh, starting a discussion about coronavirus and how it fits in with the election stuff. And actually, Rachel, I wanted to ask you two questions. Um, they're a little, they're different from each other, but about coronavirus. The first was going to be, um, and I think we almost were getting into that a little bit, how the coronavirus overall in terms of how Trump is handling it, how people feel about it is is affecting the election, is affecting the polls, and it's a little early, right? I mean, how it's going to affect them in November. But the second question is, the coronavirus almost reminds me of the debate over cell phones and young people, how people started saying, is polling uh, you know, reliable anymore? Because people have cell phones and people don't answer calls unless you're you know, 89 years old, you don't answer the call when you don't know who's calling. So, and I started thinking, you know, t the turnout question with coronavirus, you know, and whether... Uh, uh, how are your polls going to be? How is your forecasting going to be accurate when we don't know who's going to be scared to vote, and we don't know? Yeah. And, and I'm sorry. Last point is, don't and we don't know. For that too, yeah, and we don't, and we don't know how bad the virus will be. Like, what if it comes back in November? But so start with the point about coronavirus overall in the polls, but then also polling in the age of coronavirus. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll talk about um, you know the virus and the pandemic, and you know um, overall. Because when it was first emerging and it was clear it was going to be a serious event is when I issued my update for this forecast. The initial hmm. version was released, of course, on July, 9, um, July of 2019. And this was the uh, first update to it that came out in, in um, March, just after 
Biden had cinched the nomination and um, it was clear he was going to be the nominee. Right. So I updated it based on, okay, now we know it's not Sanders, it's Biden. And um, and I talk a lot about, okay, hey, you know, as I'm writing this, this, this thing, this, this pandemic's outbreaking in the country, and it looks like it's going to be, you know, quite severe. We're all on, going on house arrest or what have you. And, uh, you know, this forecast update isn't really going to be able to capture any effects of that. Uh, right. The September version will. But that said, here's what I think. It, it, I think it doesn't matter because I don't think it's going to move opinion uh, one way or the other because of heavy polarization. And, and no matter how bad Trump screws this up, and it's already obvious by this point right. that, he, you know, when I was writing it, that he had screwed it up. Um, you know, I, I just don't anticipate that we're going to see much difference. And the only way that we'll ever see any difference is if Republican identifiers, you know, on the approval question, stop supporting him at 90 percent. 10, you know, right, right. <laughs> like that's the data that you, the only data that matters, like in the right, survey right. and a poll, the you know, election com competition, Donald Trump will be competitive in all of the swing states. So long as 90% of Republicans plus still support him. Right. And does it help us with, does it help us with voters in the middle or is Trump already lost them? Well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. So, um, so, um, you know, John's so just so eager, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's how exciting <laughs> your, your forecast are. Right? <laughs> yeah, ultimately I anticipated Trump would also not have a good rally around the flag effect at that point. Um, you know, I was, you know, I, everyone else was like, Oh, it's going up. I'm like, no, it's basically flat. Okay. Cause three points, is not uh, what I would call a rally around the flag effect of robust size. It could actually be a survey margin of error measurement right. problem. Okay, and I said this is, in fact, this is the best it's ever going to get. From here, it's going to go down uh, because you know the beginning is is when people give you the benefit of the doubt, and then it just goes worse yep. from there. And you know, internationally, I just want your listeners to understand how screwed we are in this country because. You know, we are Trump's a, pro, a major symptom of, of polarization, a major causal element for a lot of other things. In addition to that, institutional degradation and uh, norm betrayal and other things like that. But ultimately, like there's something much sicker within the body politic than just Donald Trump. And the reason you can see that is that internationally, all the other presidents, uh, when you uh, look at their approval ratings, there's a, a obvious response in the public. To yep. the, the major stimulus of this event, right? And America, it's a flat line, right? Yeah, There's they got so big bumps. A number of them got big bumps, I was seeing in the last few days yeah, of foreign yeah. leaders. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, or, or in the case of Abe in Japan and the Brazilian president, they went down, okay? Trump stays flat. And why right. does he stay flat? Because our, our body politic, our political culture, the public, the elected officials, everyone, we're so sick with this polarization disease that when a massive stimulus, I mean, this thing is a massive stimulus event, comes along, our, our public opinion can't even register it, okay? It doesn't even move. Like, that's how sick we are. So people really need to understand that. And, and like I had anticipated, you know, by the time I get to the September update, if, if Donald Trump is doing worse, I'll be shocked because he's got this steady floor and Republicans, I am convinced he could shoot somebody and the Republican identifiers would still stay with the man, right? So, you know, I'd like to be wrong on that and I'll be watching closely for signs of degradation out of that. But until and unless Republicans right. start to desert him, just expect his approval rating to be somewhere in between, you know, 42, 44 percent. Right. And he's going to be competitive 
in all of the swing states. I, I mean, I still think Biden has a, a big advantage in all those swing states. My forecast predicts Biden's carrying most of the swing states already and, and um, wins the Electoral College. But that, but but Trump will be competitive because of that um, lockstep support that he has amongst Republicans. What, so well, let me, yeah, well, I mean, go ahead. But then I want to ask you a question about that before we move on from that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's not. It's not yeah, normal. Yeah. Like that's not what should be happening. Yeah. If yeah. our democracy was healthy, that would not be the case. Right. You know? right. uh, I've got a question too. Also, no way that you could objectively look at what Donald right, Trump right. does on a daily basis in this response and come up with a proof, right? Unless. Right. Something else is happening. Unless you're a cult member who right. refuses to look at reality, for example. Yeah, but we're, talk- and we're talking about... Jim Jones, you know, about- had a high approval rating, too, among his people, I'm sure. And we're talking about a big chunk of the public, though. We're, I know, we're not talking about cult members. We're just talking about... We're talking about everybody. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.